You are listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Episode 114, Interview with Bebo Bergeon, Director of A Monster in Paris. Hi, welcome everybody to the Rotoscopers YouTube. Uh, my name is Mason, and this is Episode 114, the Animation Addicts Podcast. Disney, DreamWorks, Don Bluth, and everything in between. I also forgot to mention Pixar. <laughs> Sorry, folks, we've had a lot of technical difficulties bringing this amazing interview to you. And so, <laughs> um, today, uh, we are we have the privilege of interviewing Mr. Bebo Bergeron, who is uh, an industry veteran, and he's also the director of uh, Flushed Away, Shark Tale, and um, A Monster in Paris. I was trying to think of all the, all the films you've directed. <laughs> Can so, I cut you um, off? Uh-huh. Of course. And say, uh, uh, I'm not the, the director of Flushed Away. Uh, I'm director of The Road to El Dorado, Shark Tale, and uh, Monster in Paris. That's right, that's right. That was the one I missed. Okay, that was my yeah. bad. I'm so sorry. I storyboarded on Flushed Away, though, and I, it was fun. It was a fun Okay, show. great. Yeah, but, you, and you, but you've worked on a huge variety of, of animated films, like in multiple departments, and we definitely want to hear more about your kind of varied and wide career in animation. But, yeah, mostly we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about A Monster in Paris. Uh, I've, uh, I, saw it, uh, I saw it yesterday, and I was really impressed. It was super cute. Congratulations on an awesome film. And uh, we want to go into kind of your, your, your newer ventures of what you're doing um, these days. And also, uh, you know, we'll do some general questions about, you know, how you came to be an animator, what it means to you, and... and kind of the ins and outs of your craft. And so thank you so much for being on the show, Bebo. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm happy happy to be here. And so we are we are a kind of a multinational, international podcast because uh, Bebo is broadcasting uh, from South France. I'm here in Texas, which is a whole different country, as we all know. And uh, Chelsea is, yes, it is. Uh, Chelsea is in Arizona. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Uh, we're happy to be connected this way, and hopefully we won't have any more technical problems. <laughs> Chelsea, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How is everybody here? I'm really glad to be able to be here with Bebo, because um, he and I have been in contact for the last couple of months trying to get this set up. So glad that he was able to fit us into his super busy schedule, and we really appreciate it, Bebo. Thanks you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, so it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to share to share uh, you know, the history history of my craft and you know what I my passion and I obviously you have the same passion for the for the the profession so uh, that you know the job we will make and uh, it's great to share it. Great to share it with people of passion. Absolutely. So um, I've just been going over your resume, as it were, on IMDb. And noticed, uh, I guess, all the varied departments and all the varied jobs that you've held over the years in animation. And just to mention a few, just to kind of get our listeners up to date, um, you've been, you've animated for uh, films like Fern Gully, uh, We're yes. Back, A Dinosaur Story, which we we've done episodes for both of those. So you should definitely go back and and watch them and listen to our episodes on them. Well, I, you don't have to, especially for We're Back. <laughs> Oh come on! Um, and then you did um, you did animation for Goofy movie. We we also did an episode on that. That was one of my favorite episodes that we've done. The Iron oh, Giant. Love, 
I love that movie. I really love. I, I love working on it too. It was great to work with uh, Kevin Lima. Who's mm -hmm. a, yeah, was a really really good person and a good director. Yeah, so that one was super fun, and the animation is so. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say. Yeah, it just seems so lively and fresh, and and I feel like the '90s, like '90s Disney, was all about that. And yeah. um, and then the Iron Giant, that one's definitely made headlines recently with the uh, well, with the theatrical uh, re-release. I've I've never worked on the Iron Giant. Oh, okay. Uh, there is something. I mean, on IMDb, I've noticed that uh, there's some real uh, errors, from, uh, and the main one being. My uh, resume was merged with some some other Eric Bergeron's resume. Ah, the, the infamous Eric Bergeron. <laughs> yeah, from Quebec. You know, he's from uh, he's a French Canadian. Um, <laughs> I've been sending I've been sending um, uh, emails to uh, IMDb and and trying to reach this other uh, Eric Bergeron uh, in Canada, but. Uh, Oh, no, that's right. Because no your responses. First name, that's right because your first name Eric. is Eric. Yeah, it is. So you so, have uh, this weird animator doppelganger. Yeah, <laughs> and he's working on TV. He's like story. He's a story artist uh, working on TV, um, mainly uh, uh, as you call that uh, very young uh, programs. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, that must be really frustrating. <laughs> That's it's, it's kind of a bit. funny, weird story. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it can be confusing. It's confusing me sometimes. <laughs> Did I work on that? Uh, you know. Um, so, All right. Well, uh, why, don't, why don't you set the record straight and let us know? Um, I guess um, how you came to work in in the field of animation and what what productions you've worked on. All right. So um, do you have do you have the uh, how many hours do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed that uh, I've been working for over 30 years now on in animation, so um, makes me feel old. Uh, so I need to take a soup and go to bed now. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, uh, well, um, I didn't want to do animation when I was young. I, was, I wanted to draw. That, that was for sure. I wanted to draw for the rest of my life every day, which I do actually still. Um, and um, I wanted to draw cartoons in the, in the newspapers, you know, like you know, it could be a, doing caricatures of uh, politicians or celebrities, but you know, draw every day about the uh, the news. Uh, that's that's uh, what I wanted to do, and I I guess I always loved characters, and that's why I wanted to do caricatures because I really love to uh, uh, to create and and represent. Uh, strong characters, and so I went to school to art school when I was 15, uh, because I already knew that I wanted to do that. So I went to art school in Paris uh, when I was 15 for three years, and I had my diploma. And then I get out of the school and uh, I had a diploma for uh, um, it's called uh, publicity uh, art, and uh, I was looking for another school to keep you know perfecting my you know uh, that that route, and uh, and so and uh, I passed by the uh, Goblin School, and there are those little leaflets, and and in this leaflet there was uh, uh, animation. Yeah. And I've never seen, I never knew that there was an animation school in in 
in the world. I even didn't know that I could work in animation, or anybody was working in animation, because for me as a kid, uh, I was as a young kid, uh, I always thought, you know, the cartoons, they were real people, you know, somehow. You <laughs> 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 never knew that there was like, you know, puppeteers or, or animators, you know, giving them lives. Um, not even, it was not even a question in my head, so that suddenly it went boom in my head, and then I'm, I was working in Paris, and I was uh, 18, and uh, I, I checked the programs, and I, the first movie I, I bumped into in animation in Paris, then there was a re-release of, was uh, Peter Pan. Oh, and yeah. uh, so I, uh, I went to the theater, I, I said, okay, I'm going to watch as, as, a, as an animator, just to, you know, just to understand, uh, uh, you know, put my, my mind into it and try to understand how it works. Uh, but uh, the first two seconds, click, I was a regular viewer. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's amazing. And, you know, the people flying and, you know, and giving me emotions and, and you know, you, you laugh, you cry. And then I went, oh, at the end of the, the end credits, I went like, oh, crap. Uh, I didn't check if it was drawings or not. So I stayed for the next uh, screening. So I saw uh, Peter Pan twice in a row. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then I was like, okay. And then then um, it was, uh, my mind went just exploded. <laughs> yeah. Because I thought, oh my God, this is just uh, a mix of so many art forms. Uh, because I suddenly I was like looking at backgrounds, like paintings, and then people dancing, like I was doing, you know, looking at the, at a, a play or a dance show and, you know, acting and drawing and everything. And uh, so I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. So I passed, I passed the test to enter the school. And, uh, and, uh, and then I was in, in the, Go the Gobelin, the Gobelin in Paris. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there was there was a revelation for me, uh, Les Gobelins. Uh, we were yeah. like 12, 12 people, twelve young you know students, just uh, in a in a lab, in a lab, you know, playing with things and trying to understand how it's working and and practicing and again, again and again. Right. And that was that was really great times, really great what? times. What year was this when you entered Goblin? Well, oh, man, I'm going to sound very old, like a very. <laughs> you don't want me asking. No, no, it's uh, 1983. Wow. So, it sounds like around this time, a lot of like there was a lot of. It sounds really cool because this program seemed really small, and that there was a lot of like experimentation, and that you were all kind of growing and discovering together. Like animation, obviously, had been around for a long time. Um, but well, and in '83, obviously there was no CG, right? Know? There was not even video, you know. To uh, to, it's not really like a dinosaur. Um, <laughs> there was there, we were we were actually developing our, our line tests on a 16 millimeter negative. Wow! And uh, we had those editing machines, you know, like we like we actually we were using our hands, you know, just to make it, you know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and uh, well, you, know, you can call it old school. 
I love old school. In fact, I'm sad that those techniques will probably never be used again just because of how far technology has gone. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and it's funny because I'm giving classes now in school in, uh, in South of France called MOPA, uh -huh. uh, which is a really good, great school. Um, and uh, actually, I, I was talking about that, actually about... Uh, now it's easier. Technically, everything is easier, and even even getting you you will get access to easily to everything. Mm -hmm. And um, when we were in the, when I was in animation school in Les Gobelins, uh, we had two books as references. You know, we had the uh, Preston Blair's book and the Illusion of Life. Right. And there was there was our ba two Bibles, and we we didn't have a. Uh, uh, the internet didn't exist, so you know, to have access to things, we, we we had to go to to museums and to libraries, you know, and uh, and to bless you, <laughs> and to uh, uh, you know, you had to go physically to places where you can find references. Um, nowadays, you just click, right, and, and you find hundreds of. Uh, Different uh, references. So, um, right, references, reference images. Yes. Wow. So the yeah, that was different different times. Wow. So how did you get your first gig in animation? Uh, I got out of the school in um, uh, with my diploma in '85, uh, and uh, and there was Asterix. Right. And I was I was lucky enough because you know before that. There was not much you know, work in France, but uh, uh, lucky enough, there was that production Asterix, and uh, and uh, there was uh, Asterix in Britain, and that was fun because uh, it was in central Paris. Uh, there was a lot of people, not only French. Actually, I don't think there were, I think it was more more foreign people than than French people. Uh, there was not enough French animators to uh, to do that movie. So there was people from Spain, Hungary, uh, and Canada, and and Italy. Uh, so that was great. That melting pot, you know, of people. I really loved that. Um, and I, I started as a in betweener. You know. Hmm. I was in betweening, you know, little asterisk drawings and yeah, and uh, for a month or two, and then I moved on to uh, assistant, assistant of uh, of two animators. Uh, remember, it was uh, Alain Costa was one of them, French and a Spanish animator uh, as well, uh, Raúl Garcia, mm -hmm. and uh, and. Uh, and then uh, by the end of the production, probably the last five to six months, uh, my uh, animator, uh, Alain, was uh, uh, nice enough to uh, give me some little animation scenes to do. So uh, I, wa I was uh, lucky to get some, uh, some scenes with Asterix and Obelix. Very uh, cool. So that was cool. And now so Asterix is CG animated. <laughs> yeah, well... Not uh, during my time. No CG right. at all. So uh, we had to animate, you know, all, you know the all the all like the boat, the ships, you know, uh, the boats. Uh, they had to be animated by hand. Yeah, that was crazy. You know, the the galleons, I think, I don't know how you call them. 
Um, but um, yeah, great time. So when you look at your your career, what were some of the like the top three points in your career that you think gave you the biggest jump? Mm. Um, it's, it's always uh, connected to people. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not it's not per se uh, it's not the job per se, but it's more mm -hmm. like the people. Uh, for example, I uh, I remember going to in '89, uh, going to London to work on on Five Goes West, mm -hmm. and and so when I met Uli Meyer, uh, who's still one of my best friends, uh, I considered him as a, as a mentor. Even even I, I don't think he would like this this term, but uh, but. Uh, I was very influenced and inspired by his, his talent and the person he was, and he is. <laughs> um, the, the, the way I mean, I was standing behind him and just looking at him drawing uh, and uh, animating, and was like, "Wow, that was a source of inspiration." Mm. And I was I was lucky enough to to be in his in his crew in his team. So he pushed me, uh, it dragged me up. You know, I was not not just like in behind my desk, you know, and uh, and just doing my animation. It re really pushed me to do the the best I I could, and uh, be because because he was so much better than me. So I wanted to be the closest. I don't think I've never reached that level though, uh, but uh, I wanted to you know to to follow this person. It's like when you do a race, you're on know, bicycle, you want to follow number one, you know, just don't mm -hmm. you don't want to let him go, <laughs> uh, to to give too much distance between the number one and number two. You, it's okay to be number two as long as you can see number one in the distance. Right. Follow him. Uh, so um, so there was no competition between us. It was just um, it was just a, a great influence. Wow. Uh, and Uli animated on Roger Rabbit. He did those beautiful scenes with. Uh, uh, Dumbo, for instance, you know, getting the peanuts. And that. So, um, but he did so many things. Check him out and check his work. I, I'm pretty sure you know him. Um, but uh, he worked with uh, uh, Babbitt, you know, from one of the Nine Little Men. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Art Babbitt. And uh, yeah, he, did, he did so many things. And um, he, got, he got me uh, to work on Fern Gully. If I work, work on Ferngully, it's because of him. Uh, he has his studio, uh, Uli Meyer Studio. So in between the two movies in London, between Fiber Goes West and We're Back, uh, I worked in London on, uh, on Ferngully. And it was, uh, was fun. Especially I worked on The Bat. Oh, really? And, <laughs> and uh, I thought that was a great character. He's crazy. Here's, here's a question that we actually had. Um, I I saw from the the bonus features of that DVD that they actually do a reunion every so often. Do they still do reunions for Farngully? I've heard of one. Uh, it was a reunion in Lele. I, I couldn't make it though. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've heard of. I don't know. I don't know if they made. I don't know. I don't know how many they made. But there was a one reunion I was aware of. Yeah. But I, I, I was I wasn't I wasn't part of it. Um, but I, I, you know I didn't work. I mean it was in between two movies, so I I worked probably like I don't know 
two months on it, not even. I don't, I don't remember precisely, but um, but it was fun. It was fun to work with Uli in in his studio, and um, in London, and it was a great experience. Um, what was your question again? Oh yeah, the, uh, other moments, uh, pivotal moments in my, in my career. Yeah, a turning uh, point. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's why I opened my own my own uh, my own studio, Bebo Films, uh, and uh, and I got to uh, to direct my first commercial. Actually, it's the uh, the the boss of uh, the head manager of a stu uh, English studio called uh, Passion Pictures. Uh, and for a woman who gave me my first commercial to do was a Heinz, uh, you know those English beans, <laughs> beans in cans, well Heinz, with, but with the tiny tunes. Oh, cool! And, uh, and I had to do the whole thing by myself, which was great, you know, to do storyboard and animation, and I got people to help me painting the cells, and and uh, and it was fun. Well, it was, you know, it was fun to animate, and and then uh, the fact that and you know. Trusted me to to take the whole thing home in, in Paris and and to do to do the whole thing. That was great, and and it was my, my, the first thing I ever directed. So uh, that's something that comes to, to mind when I think of it. Very cool. Wow, the Tiny Tunes. It, it seems like it seems like you had already done such a broad range of different animation styles and and different like themes and characters. Did you really yeah. animate for Bavar, or is that the other Eric Bergeron? No, I did. I did. Oh, I love Bavar. I did animate, animate like uh, on three episodes of Bavar. Uh, it's when I was working at the Gaumont, which was actually the the same building that were, where the Asterix were made. Uh, ah. So animate. I even animated on the pilot for Tintin, the TV series. Oh, sweet! I love that show. <laughs> And, uh, the, the, the old cartoon they used to play it on uh, on Nickelodeon or something when I was uh, when I was really young and I, I I know it's a lot I know it's goes back further than that but man that was a cool show yeah it was great and it was great because uh, the, the the director for that show uh, Stefan Bernasconi was my uh, animation teacher when I was in you know that young that youngster in the, the Goblin holy uh, cow. So he was—he was my, uh, and we're still friends. He, he hasn't changed at all. He's still doing great uh, TV shows, and uh, and uh, it was great. It was great help during school. I was very struggling when I was in Goblin. I just go back a little, you know, uh, at that period because, uh, um, I, you know, I was for, for me it was fun to animate those uh, bouncing balls and and revolving doors and. <laughs> all these exercises, but I, as soon as we get into the soul of a character, I freaked out. I was like, I cannot do that. You no, know, this is too much for me. And I was that close to give up uh, and go like, okay, maybe animation is not for me. I love to draw, but maybe animation is not for me. And Stefan, you know, grabbed me by, by the collar. It's like, okay, you come <laughs> back, you sit, I show you how it's done. And uh, and, uh, and he did. I thank him. You know. Uh, to, you know, to have done that because uh, the other way, I don't know, I would be, you know, I don't know what I would be. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. 
And so um, I noticed that you, well, you've worked in animation through the the turning, or not the turning point, but the emergence of CG animation. Did you ever get around, did you always stay hand-drawn, or did you experiment or start doing CG animation? No. Uh, well, the, th the thing is, uh, because of my... Uh, uh, responsibilities as a director, I could I, I couldn't actually uh, draw um, animate. Uh, I, I became a, a feature film director at that pivotal time, you know. Right. Uh, so uh, I was not an animator anymore. That's right. You, you went from El you went from directing El Dorado, and then four years uh, four years later, they released Shark Tale, which was CG. So yeah. I, I guess to rephrase my question, like. What was it like, or was it any different directing one film that was um, hand-drawn and one film that was CG? Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's always the same thing. You know, Whatever the tool, it's always telling a story. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, but, you know, you have to, to adjust, yeah? You have to... Um, after, after it becomes only technical. Uh, right. So the thing that, that actually uh, was a little scary, it was uh, when you draw uh, and you, you paint you know, for, for a 2D, uh, a traditional animated movie, it's uh, you, you, you uh, pre-think everything. You, know, you actually you know what you're doing. You don't, you know, you want to go you know, right and you go right. You don't go slightly left or up or down. You just, you just you know, just know you're going from A to B, the character is walking there, and the, the, the background is there. Um, in the beginning of CG, what, the possibilities were open more. Yeah. You know, and suddenly, for me, I always said it was the, the devil. For me, the CG was the devil because it was, if you don't, if your mind is not set on what you want to do, on your vision, and the computer could be evil and say, hey, how about this? You can do this too, and how about mm. this? You can go up and down, or you can go bigger, or you can change the focal, you know, they can change the, this, and, and, and then you can be tempted, you know, just to, uh, to do all those possibilities and, and waste your time and, and, and your mind uh, on something, you, you know, that's not uh, useful, and, and there's no purpose for the, for the movie. Uh, but, uh, but then, I know, as soon, that helped me to actually... Uh, be very clear to the crew about what what we sh you know we should do for the movie and not go go too crazy and so trying to trying to put you know to put the train on the right tracks and we can have fun uh, in the train but you know I was I was uh, responsible for the the train stations right <laughs> and but. It, <laughs> We, in, within the, the trip and in the train, we can have fun and experiment stuff. But that that uh, CG thing helped me to uh, have a more structurized, structured mind. Because uh, otherwise, you know, the evil computer can uh, can uh, make you do stuff you don't want to do. Computers are evil, man. <laughs> yeah. Looks like you looks like you said with the with the possible technical possibilities of CG, it can be. It, it can be 
kind of a pitfall or a slippery slope to be distracted by the technology, but also um, to let the technology drive the vision rather than let your passion drive the vision and just merely use the computer as a tool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you said it better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't have a cool accent. I'm just kidding. Okay, so speaking of, of vision, A Monster in Paris was the first film, if I'm, if I'm correct, that you directed, but also had a hand in writing. Yeah, it was my, was my uh, third uh, feature film. Right, uh, that you directed, but I, did you do some of the writing for the actual story for Monster in Paris, or did you do that for all three of them, Shark Tale and El Dorado? No, um, no Monster in Paris yeah, is... Well, you're right. Um, I wrote the the story, mm -hmm. uh, the concept of Monster in Paris. I wrote the synopsis, you know, the treatment, uh, right. and then I, and then I uh, I co-wrote the script wow. uh, with another writer called uh, Stefan Casanchio. Uh, and it said that it was for your father. Is there a story behind that? Yes, I remember you asked me that already on the over the phone and. And uh, we both cried. So you want you want tears again, huh? <laughs> Maybe all uh, three of us this time. <laughs> well, it's my my father was very proud of this movie, uh, more more uh, more so than the the others. Um, actually, we wanted me to uh, print some of the images I was I was doing, and he was putting it, you know, framed it and put it in the living room, which never done before in my entire career. So. Uh, so um, my father was not that type of, uh, you know, uh, expressive person about mm -hmm. about you know uh, what he loves or nothing. So it was very kind of little little square, and, you know. And uh, but on, well, for that movie, he really loved it, and he said said to me, "I really love it." And then he got sick, and they, and he passed away be before, you know, not long not long before the release of. Uh, the movie. This is why uh, I uh, I uh, dedicated uh, this movie to him. to him. Yeah, that's awesome. So, as far as like when you are writing this film, <clears throat> now I wanted to bring this up again because I just think it's so interesting that you would choose the setting to be during a f the flood in Paris, mm -hmm. and I just I found that. To be one, super interesting that you would um, choose that. What what was the thing that said, let's do the flood? Why the flood? Mm -hmm. uh, well, if if I back up a little bit, it's because uh, at first I wanted to do something in Paris because uh, I was so homesick, mm -hmm. and uh, I am Parisian and I love this city. You know, uh, I wanted to do in a movie, a period movie. Uh, and uh, what, one of my favorite periods are um, the turn of the century, uh, mm -hmm. the, the 19th to the 20th century, uh, because in, uh, in in 20 years there were so many things happened, um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in science, in in art, uh, you know, the, there was like the, uh, uh, the industry and all that, so um, was very uh, bubbling. You know, uh, and uh, emerging a lot of stuff were emerging from the, from those years, and um, and because I wanted to do a monster movie too, and when I found that Flea, 
as a monster. Um, when you when you write a story about a monster, you have to write as well. The second thing you should write about is like, what's the uh, Achilles heel? You said mm -hmm. that right? And uh, and the Achilles heel of a, of a flea is water. It's water. Uh, yeah, it's water. So. Uh, and then I, I, I mean, I've read so many books about Paris during uh, between uh, night, night, uh, 1890 and uh, 1914. Uh, and then I, I, I read that uh, that flood story. You know, it was the the, the flood of the the century, you called it, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a very big one. So like, oh, I am. So I can set my flea monster story in that you know flood. Uh, period, and somehow I think the bad guy being the the, the commissioner uh, wanting to use the water to to destroy the monster, and um, and you should should read the the very first uh, the very first script that was totally crazy because actually the commissioner was the one responsible for the flood. He actually <laughs> ah. flooded he flooded Paris just to to get rid of the of the the flea. Uh, <laughs> that was that was silly, and 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 it cost it costed so much money when you budgeted that. There was these machines like uh, you know the, these machines that actually uh, uh, it's like a mole mole machine and that digs digs uh, tunnels, you know that in a, in in a, in, a, in Paris just to make the the subway. So in the first version of the script, there was a bad guy driving that and hitting, <laughs> hitting the the metro and and hitting towards the Seine, the the, the river, just to flood Paris. Uh, well, I, I wasn't a Bruckheimer, you know. I was, you know, I was not a Steven Spielberg, and I didn't have the budget for that. <laughs> Very cool. So one thing that I noticed about Monster in Paris, which I really enjoyed, was just how clean the design communication was for everything. I loved how all the characters had uh, a main color palette that easily kind of set them apart. And then sometimes in animated films, or particularly in CG, like you said, with the technology, since they can go so big and so far with the technology, everything becomes so loud and unclear, but one thing I wanted to compliment you on with the treatment of this film was just how clear and clean everything was, from the cinematography to um, how you staged things. Of course, staging is, is really important in animation, but also um, just how everyone was so ordered, and, um, and yet they had their own personalities. And so that was one of the big things that impressed me about the film was Thanks. just the amount of visual clarity that I saw. I could totally understand everything that was going on, and, and that's a that's a that's something that is lacking in some CG productions. Well, but, well yeah, but some of them uh, I've seen uh, like pretty cl clear to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but thanks for the compliment. Uh, um, yeah, for me, I mean, when I before I start anything, I'm, I'm actually writing uh, uh, the names of the characters. When I was writing the synopsis, I, I wrote uh -huh. the names of the characters, and even though you don't know Raoul's last name or or Emile's last name, I wrote last names and I wrote how many brothers and sisters they have, and do, do they still have their parents? And and 
do they like or love their parents, you know, or what happened to them? Do they have pets and what kind of music they would listen to if they were people from today and uh, what kind of colors they like, you know, and and so I write that that um look at that ID thing. Uh, for me for me it was part of the, the create the DNA of a character. So yeah. so when I write about uh Foncoeur and Lucille, which are actually uh the two main characters in the story, you have to really to click and connect. And so I go, all right, so uh Foncoeur I'm gonna use black because it's black is scary. People, you know, uh, it's, it's mystery. It, you know, it's and uh, it's night. You know, it's it's dark and and night needs light. And light would be Lucille, and mm, Lucille yeah. is white. And and so Lucille becomes uh, Frankel's light. And and uh, when when uh, Lucille takes Frankel. Uh, in a, in a shelter, she gives she gives a Frankel shelter, a shelter, and and they share uh, a room, they share a passion, they share everything. She uh, changed her, her clothes into white clothes, so it becomes light. It becomes Lucille, you know, it becomes Lucille uh, as well. It becomes Lucille's brother of light, and uh, and the the one color they share is red. Uh, Lucille's hair color and and uh, Frankel's eyes colors and scarf ah. and, and they sh- for me uh, red is passion and so they share the same passion so this is why they share that same color so you see every time I can um, put words on my decisions of, of of colors and all that it it, uh, it when I can describe why the whys of of uh, uh, my decisions. To the, the crew, it makes it very clear, and people go ahead. You know, they all go ahead, and we're on the same track, and and they understand why I did that. It's not, I say that to my students. It's like don't make a decision just because it, it's cool or pretty. This is two taboo words for me. Uh, the, if there's not a real reason behind it, like the, just the ones I I, I talked about. Hmm. Um, it it, uh, it it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me. There is no something behind it, no history, no emotion. If you are, if it's only because it's cool or or, or pretty, it's not good enough. Yeah. It's not good enough. You know, it's like same for Emil when I speak uh, uh, that particular green because it goes is the same um, hue, not hue, but um, if you turn the saturation down, it be it becomes a, a gray. And the same gray than the purple from mode dress. So they 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 from the same world. They connect because of that. Uh, wow. So uh, you know little stuff like that. Every time I try to uh, uh, to uh, for, for me, for instance, the lack of colors it was then was danger in the story. So uh, every time, like the, the the end, the fight on the Eiffel Tower is very uh, foggy and and. And there is no contrast because uh, a setup that the, the lack of colors is throughout the movie is is uh, is danger ah. and uh, stuff like that. So um, so yeah, like I, I I love to think about that stuff before I start anything. You know, I really I need I need to uh, 
because it's a work, uh, it's a teamwork, you know, uh, and uh, especially in animation, you have you you deal between you know with you know two hundred or four hundred people throughout the production, so you, rea you really have to be clear about your vision as a director. So uh, you, there's a lot of homework to do. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the music was something that was very important to this film. What made you decide to implement the the staging of the music the way you did? Uh, very good question. And actually, the the composer and the singer of the French version uh, is called Mathieu Chedid, mm -hmm. as known as known as the letter M. M. Uh, is the f my, was my first collaborator on this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, when I and then I go back to the the, the previous question. When I wrote uh, my little uh, paper on Francoeur, and and I, I uh, pushed myself to write a tagline, you know, of who he is in one sentence. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Francoeur for me was a a, a, a child angel uh, stuck in a monstrous monstrous body, and. Uh, that there was this tagline, and I, and I was when I wrote that that paper on, on him on Franker, uh one of, of uh, Mathieu Chedid's CD was playing, and um, and I remember the, I saw the cover and the cover was him you know in all in pink with his little hair pointy hair you know like a like a devil, but so he was like a pink devil which was <laughs> like I really loved the loved the the combination of the two extreme notions you know. Uh, and the two extreme notions were the two extreme notions of Francoeur. He's a monster, but he's actually a child. You know, it's a, it's mm -hmm. a very a naive child and in a monstrous body. So, and I listened to Matthew's music and I was like, well, this is him. I can hear his voice uh, with my designs and it was really connected. So, before I went to, to to back to France from uh, from LA, I uh, um, I thought I, sh I should meet him. I should meet meet Mathieu, which I did. And when I met the guy, it was like another revelation. I was like, whoa, he's just his universe, the way he speaks about music, and the way the way he is, um, you know, he's, he's a romantic rocker. And uh, and I really I really like liked who he, he was, who he is, and. Mm -hmm. And we're still friends. We're still very good friends. And um, and um, so yeah. So uh, we started to. I remember we had uh, our first lunch. I talked. We talked for hours about. You know, I talked for hours about the movie. I pitched it. And and two weeks after, he called me and he said, "Come come home. Come to my uh, my uh, uh, house." And um, and I he played the first song. He played the the song called the Monster in Paris. You know when the Lucille and Franco meet, right? It was it, it, and he was like I remember because he was sick. He had that flu and and um, he said, uh, "Well, I thought of that, you know." Um, and before that, we exchanged some uh, some text messages about what the text should be, you know, the lyrics should be for the song, and and we play with the words and all about Paris and that uh, how he appeared and and. And uh, his birth was it was about his birth in Paris, and so he was that child that, that he, he discovers the world and people hate him. So um, 
there was that emotion. So I, when he was, he, he said, okay, I'm going to play it for you. So he grabbed his guitar, his acoustic guitar, and I said, hang on, can we just re record, record it? So he put a mic in front of him, and he recorded it. And that uh, take, that was the very first take, it, I, I really wanted to put, you know, to put it at the end, on, on the end credits of my movie. So the, mm -hmm. the song, that version you hear at the end credits, that's Mathieu playing for me the very first, wow. for the very first time, the very first song, Sick with the Flu. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And, and, uh, and uh, again, there was another click in my head, was like, wow, okay. Uh, when I, I heard that, I thought, okay, I made a good move. I made a good move to to reach out, you know, um, to him and and to do this movie. Uh, I really, when we, I had goosebumps and uh, and I was like, okay, that that's a beautiful song. And uh, and then then when I hear that, when I heard that, I was like, okay, Mathieu is my franqueur. So everything I wrote from that point on, I thought of Mathieu. Mm -hmm. I thought I, I wanted to put some of him. Every time I could put some of his, his personality in the character I did. Even though I, uh, what my job is to create unique characters, I wanted to implant some of his personality in the character. Uh, and same for Lucille, Vanessa Paradis. Uh, actually, it was, uh, uh, when Matthew asked me, uh, who, who do you want to play you know, uh, for the main uh, female role? What, when, who do you want, you know, who, which which talents you want? And uh, I said, I don't know. I need someone who who can you know, uh, act, can sing, and some kind of a French icon. And he said, Well, I'm recording a, a CD with her, with Vanessa Paradis, mm. uh, next next week. Do you want to come over? I said, If I want to come over, yeah, of course, it's a great <laughs> idea. Uh, uh, so um, I pitched I pitched the, the the film to to her as well, and uh, and she said yes. So um, wow. And and what I realized is actually Mathieu and Vanessa are very good friends and they and they're more than good friends. They're actually like brother brother and sister. Ah. They're really the way I, I see them acting together, you know, and and how they make each other's laugh and and they they have they have the, the really good uh, you know brotherly connection. And uh, and that started me to write in that sense too, mm -hmm. you, know, you know. I mean that that way, uh, that Lucille and and Funker, they have to become brother and sister. And uh, right, yeah, that that relationship is definitely evident in the film. So that's really interesting to hear that that M and um, and Vanessa were so close in real life. Yeah, very yeah, very close, and. Uh, so that helped you know, when you write to start to write you know, about Lucille and and some of the scenes how they how they meet and what they do and so uh, that inspired me you know the con the connection they have mm -hmm. wow so um, so Matteo he did the singing voice for Francoeur and he also but did he do all the little like flea chirping sounds and stuff too did he do like his little voice. Uh, yeah, we yeah actually we did with the, the the sound designer we combined with some other things and we uh, make make it sound a little uh, more uh, organic. But he did that 
little thing that you just know. And he does, he does that, he has that very high pitch voice. With right. So, so, yeah, yeah, he did. He did. It was fun. It, yeah, he came up. We, we, we uh, told him he should be like a, could be as cute as a little kitten, you know, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so it's like it a just kind little, of have feline quality to that <laughs> chirping. Yeah. Wow, um, I think that's really, really fascinating. I, I love it when, um, I, of course, I'm, I'm ignorant in, in things like this, but I don't know. I'm assuming that Matteo Cherit is, is a big deal in France, and so is obviously so is Vanessa Paradis. Um, but I, I don't know. We talk about this a lot on the podcast about um, how we wish that studios would really think about their voice cast selections for their films because um, some I, I feel like there are I feel like getting celebrities or or more um, or more uh, famous singing voices to do to be in animated films it works in some and it doesn't work in others and so I I don't know why that happens where they get um, you know, here in the States, they get Hollywood voice actors to do films, and they just fall flat, or they don't work for that role. But in other roles, they work really well. And so I wish I could figure out or unlock the, sci the science of how they can, how people, like animation studios, can assign the best voice actor for the job. And, and it, it feels like you really did your research and really, like, looked around to find the right people for this role, because now it totally makes sense how... Vanessa and Matteo's relationship in real life translates um, so beautifully on screen with the two characters. Um, yeah, because uh, because they, um, we uh, we have created the, those characters together. You know, mm. it's not it's not like I, I I decide to create characters and then I said, okay, I want a name on the poster, so I, I pick you. You know, and uh, um, you have to pick uh, an actor for. For, again, for a good reason. You know, the reason, if, if it's only because it's cool to have uh, that name on a poster and it, it gets more people in the theaters, uh, why not? That's a you know production decision. Mm -hmm. uh, as, as a director, as an author, you know, uh, uh, it, it's very different on this movie than, for instance, for Shark Tale. Uh, mm -hmm. Even though uh, for Shark Tale we, are, we had an uh, A-class uh, cast, Sure. Uh, uh, and we have created those characters thinking of you know those people. Um, uh, for for most in Paris, it should, I mean we are we I spent more time uh, with Matthew and Vanessa creating those characters, uh, much more time uh, in the room and you know especially with Matthew, uh, since the music was such a big part of it. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, we have to be for the and you know I'm torn about uh, between saying uh, well, you know you don't need a big star to make a, a, a great movie, <laughs> but but at the same time I've met those big stars and they are great actors. Sure. You know, it's not because they're yeah. big stars they are that they are only big stars. They're not only big names. You know, if they are big names, it's because they've done good. You know. And uh, and because you know Will Smith is a great actor, Robert De Niro is a great actor, Angelina yeah. Jolie is a great actress, and uh, and uh, 
So uh, it's not a uh, it's not a good argument to say that uh, it's not great to use those big names because uh, there's other good actors can could do the voices. It's true too. But I agree. It doesn't mean that the big name is not a good actor. Uh, but uh, for most in Paris, uh, I, I found I find my for me I think I found my perfect actors for the <laughs> for the movie and and then and then not Will Smith and Jolie <laughs> but. Uh, they're great actors too, and they and they were perfect for the roles and perfect for me. For me to uh, to build up those uh, personalities uh, together. Right. So um, I noticed when I was watching. So I noticed when I was watching. I watched the the English version uh, streaming, and uh, you had uh, Sean Lennon as Franker, and then. Um, like he, you know, obviously they changed the voices up, but it, when I saw it, I thought that the English, the English language track synced really well with the animation, almost like it was animated in English in the first place. And so it was animated in English, yeah. Oh, it was originally animated in English. Yes. Okay, cool. I think yeah, that's really interesting. I thought that maybe it would have been an English voiceover with, um, no, with no, the animation. With I wrote, I wrote the script in French. I had a, a French cast in mind. At first, and then the production wanted wanted uh, us to animate in English, so we can. It's it's a production reason. Uh, sure. So so we can you know uh, have more an international career for the movie. You know. Uh, but uh, yeah, but my, I had my in mind a French actor first, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, and then when we made that decision, obviously before animation. Uh, to to do it in English, so I, I went, uh, you know, from a, a search, a hunt <laughs> of uh, of actors that would be great for the for, for my my characters. <laughs> yeah, and, I, uh, think, I think. Speaking of really... Franker, oh sure. Oh, so, sorry. Go on. I was just going to comment on how much I enjoyed the English cast. <laughs> the English cast is great because uh, they are really um, they're not big names, but they're great actors, and they're great. Uh, they've been they've been in you know. Movies and sometimes uh, small movies that I really love, and uh, I enjoyed. And uh, but uh, speaking of Franker for uh, Sean Lennon, there was another uh, people you know uh, lucky coincidence. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, actually, um, I talked to Mathieu Shedid, you know the, the, the Franker's voice. And uh, and then and then I came to him and I said, well, uh, the production wants us to uh, to animate on English. We have to you know, do an English version. And Matthew is not good in English. He's not good at all. And um, he has a horrible accent. And uh, and obviously he can translate his, his and the lyrics is, are very how do you call that? Uh, you know, uh, sensible. You know, uh, uh, yeah, sensible. They make sense, but they're poetic and uh, okay. subtle. You know, very subtle. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it plays on words, but it's not like big. You know, it's not vulgar. You know, it's not uh, play on words. It's not a pun. You know, but very subtle. Mm -hmm. So, but still, you know, it's very it's tricky to do that in English. So, uh, we gave gave those lyrics to uh, uh, some somebody who specialized in translating English to French, French to English. And it wasn't good. Matthew, you know, uh, Matthew, that doesn't sound good, and all that. So, uh, 
uh, I bumped into a video. I was looking for, you know, composer, singer, songwriter that could, could do that. And I bumped into a video of uh, Sean Lennon singing On Again, Off Again, which is a beautiful song. And you see, he was singing that, you know, on the, on YouTube, just him with a guitar, you know, uh, uh, unplugged. Mm-hmm. And, and I heard that and it was like, this, this is a voice I, I can see, I can hear on, on Fonker. And I talked to Matthew and Matthew said, oh, he's one of my friends. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> like, Excellent. <"What?" laughs> Uh, and he's like, yeah, we did a, a single together not long ago, and like a couple of years ago. And I was like, really? So, yeah, yeah. So we can meet him. So went and he, he took the lyrics, and he did an excellent job. I mean, I, I cannot stop thanking him because it was very tricky. It was a very tricky job, and he did that just so easily. I mean, it's, it, it looked so easy for him, but uh, it was great. And the way he sings the song is beautiful. Say what? I was just blown away by his voice. I loved it. I, I love his I love his voice. Um, and um, and when we premiered the film in Paris, he, we did a special surprise uh, mini concert after the screening, and he came. Nice. He came for the concert just to sing with uh, Vanessa Paradis and Mathieu Chedid. So uh, he's a he's a great person. I really love him. Very cool. I, I do like the English cast uh, for Monster in Paris. I um, I like Adam Goldberg as Raul, uh-huh. and um, I, uh, I I fell in love with Bob. Uh, is it Balaban? Balaban. 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 Yeah. 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 Is it when I, oh man, he's such a character to in real well, person. Right. When I I watched Moonrise Kingdom and uh, you know the Wes Anderson film, and he's kind of the the omnipresent narrator for that film, and. Yeah. The, the way he delivers his lines and, and ha- the straight face and, and the way he delivers it's, it, there's so much character despite it just being an explanation of what's going to happen in the film. And I, I just couldn't help but crack up for some reason. But I thought he was a great foil to, you know, the boisterous, you know, hard-headed uh, commissioner. And I, I enjoy... I enjoy no, any... It was, it was uh, the detective. Right, the detective. Yeah. The commissioner yeah, was uh, uh, Danny Houston. Yeah, and um, I love how uh, I love any story where one of the antagonists um, turns out to not be so evil after all. Like he wasn't Pate wasn't really evil. He was just really good at doing his job and very focused on solving problems. And you be and you start to realize that the way um, Maynard and and Pate solved their problems is very different, and it creates a rift there at the end that Pate, uh, you know, brings uh, uh, Maynard to, ju- to justice there at the end. Yeah. And so well, I, I really the... like a character that has that kind of arc or has that kind of um, feature to them. Yeah, is uh, yeah, is the voice and uh, <coughs> the figure of the justice and the law, you know, and. Uh... And you can tell, and he's not—he's not a bad person, you know. He's in—he uh, serves, it's, mm-hmm. you know. He, he, what he does is serving, you know. He wants—he wants, he wants to, you know, things to, to go to just. You know, he has to be just. Uh, 
and it was a great character to develop with with Bob. Uh, and I love Bob's voice. And uh, by the way, yeah, uh, Bob Baladan was in, in Christopher Guest movie as well. And uh, you know that that uh, I don't know if you know Christopher Guest uh, films uh, like like Best in Show and you know, and mockumentaries. Uh, and I'm oh, in okay. love. I'm in love with with Christopher Guest uh, uh, work. And huh. uh, Catherine Catherine O'Hara was you know in that in that uh, gang you know of actors. Uh, right. And I, picked, and I picked her for the voice of Carlotta. Uh, right. And it was great to hang out with people I really love and respect. You know, for me they're really great actors. They. Uh, they're not very well known by the you know the big audience, but uh, you know by the public. But uh, they're very, very to me they they they're some of my favorite act actors actors. So, well, yeah, I, you mentioned you mentioned the not well known. I I don't know if this contributes to this, but when I saw the film yesterday, I was struck by how real all the characters sounded. They weren't being overly cartoony. They weren't being Excuse me, overly dramatic. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of screaming involved. Uh, not seemed, too much. It seemed very organic. Right. Well, and thanks. I felt, uh, I felt like when I was hearing Raúl, I was, I was hearing someone that I knew myself, someone who is very self-confident, someone who's very experimental, the inventor, the, the artist. And when I heard Emil, I could really picture someone like Emil, and so. I guess another big compliment to this film, <clears throat> Bebo, is how believable the characters are, despite it being a CG animated film. Well, you you uh, when you write, you write uh, archetypes of you know of uh, characters, and uh, but the danger is to write stereotypes mm -hmm. or, or, ah. cliche, or cliched characters. Uh, I, I've, I've I see, and I've been seeing, and I will see cliched characters in animation uh, a lot, uh, mm -hmm. because I, <clears throat> they, they're too broad or too too cliched. You know, too, it's easy to go for the cliche. You know. Right. Um, in Paris, since I was the only one uh, in charge of 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 uh, creating those characters, I mean, in charge at first to create that DNA. All those characters you see in in Washington, Paris, they're part of me, and, and and some and more than others, and some and part of a, could be a, a, a brother of mine or uh, an uncle or, or my grandma or you know, but there is there is a friend, but there is trait of character I'm seen and I know, and but. But first of all, it's it's me, you know. Raoul, it's a little bit of me. I can be. I mean, if I was speaking in French with you, and I was, I would be joking and you know, give you puns that so they're so silly. <laughs> you'll go like, it's, it's just too silly. And uh, and Raoul is a little bit like that. He's even that and 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 a few levels more than that. Um, like I said, when I write a little a little paper about about the characters, uh, Raoul is a uh, I wrote, uh, his tagline was uh, Raoul thinks life is a farce and is the best joker. <laughs> and uh, and and he's, and he's his best audience too. So he he loves 
his, his jokes and he, and he is the first one to clap to to applaud his joke. Uh, so um, yeah, that was that was his trait, you know, one of, one of his traits of uh, character. And uh, and same for the others, you know, I I can be a little bit of uh, of uh, the shy the shy uh, uh, Emil. I can be a little bit of a the the aggressive uh, commissioner. Uh, you know, we have, we have uh, facets, you know, in 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 us, in you. Uh, New Chelsea, new uh, Mason. You, we can be good. We can be bad. We can be shy. We can be too loud. We can be, you know, we have we have so many parts, and uh, and for for me, most of Paris is parts of it. As, you know, little seeds I put in each character. Mm -hmm. That that I guess that's why that makes them a little more uh, authentic. You know. And it seems like it seems like spending time with the voice actors, as you said, to develop the character plays a big part into that. So, can you explain a little bit more about your process for developing the animated character with the voice actor? Because I think that's really interesting. Well, uh, I look at their work a lot. I mean, uh, Adam Goldberg. I've, I've tried to see most most of his films. You know, not only in Saving Private Ryan, but uh, what he did in. Uh, in Friends, mm -hmm. <laughs> as right. well, but you know, and and smaller movies, uh, and and same for Katrina O'Hara and, and Bob Balaban, which I knew about, you know, uh, their work uh, in Christopher Guest's movies, and and but um, I, I do my researches, you know, uh, to see who they are, you know, uh, what they're best at, and what they. They convey in 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 the way they move, you know, the way they look at things, and so um, again, I mean, I I try to. I don't I don't want to use an actor as as a tag I put on a character, you know. I want to use an actor and to get the best out of them, and uh, same for Madeline Madeline Zima, All right. which I, I saw in Californication. Uh, and it was funny to use that character as a very uh, mod is not Madeline Zima in Californication at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite. Um, but but uh, just the way she moves, the way she says she 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 says things is particular. That's the thing is the particularities of of the actors I want to use in my characters. Mm -hmm. I try to. Uh, 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 enhance my my characters with those little particularities. Uh, same for Adam Goldberg from Jay Harrington, uh, Danny Houston. So um, yeah, again homework. Mm -hmm. What can I say? Yeah, homework <laughs> and research. Lots of homework. Yeah, homework and research, and those are the the, the keys. This comes back again and again. Um, one of one of our favorite um, animators and directors to uh, talk to um, is Steve Hickner, who is a story artist at DreamWorks, but he also directed uh, B Movie, directed Prince of Egypt, and he always stresses the importance of doing your research as an animator and watching not only animation but watching live action film to understand 
live-action actors and the stories in live-action that animation takes a lot of ideas from or that a lot of literature takes ideas from. In other words, he was saying, if you, if you know classic cinema, then you'll be able to talk to other animators and directors about what you want to accomplish in a film since uh, we take so much from different aspects of it. And so it, it seems like you're saying that it's important to do your research and to study cinema and also the cinema of the works of the actors you want to uh, base your performance off of when you're animating. Yes, I'm, say, I'm saying exactly that. Uh, and actually, actually, it happened to me several times when uh, uh, animators were like taking references from uh, other animation, you know, other animated scenes. And that's a mistake because the person who animated that scene, you take as a reference, went through another, you know, another filter, another work mm -hmm. from, you know, from, uh, from live action. So uh, first, it's lazy to take a reference as a and it's kind of a, a, a stealing, you know, mm. stealing the work somehow. Uh, and and the, your animation is not going to be unique or special or, or you know, because the, the work you're supposed to do has been done. And, and so, yeah, I remember, I remember on, uh, on some uh, of the films I worked as a supervising animator, I said, yeah, not, never take a Never take an animation as a reference. The done has been done, is, and it's not was well, not done for your scene or your character. Mm -hmm. You know, so take your own reference, hunt for it, you know, search for it, and mm. and uh, and uh, and it's not animation. That's what's the Otherwise, your animation is going to look a, a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. You know, it's going to look pale. It's going to look pale, and you know, uh, so. Uh, yeah, take, take, take from the es essence, you know, go, go to the source. You know. So looking forward, um, after Monster in Paris, you are working on a couple other things. What, what's going on in your life right now? Uh, after Monster in Paris, I've done um, pretty much commercials. Mm -hmm. uh, one for Cartier. Uh, for Christmas, it was like two years ago. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've seen it with little, well, old CG with old grooms and uh, little panther, uh, like Christmassy setting. Um, it was great. So I did other commercials. I just finished one actually uh, not long uh, in December. It's going to be released in a, it's a two-minute-long commercial. Nice. Uh, I, I did with the agency uh, Sachi and Sachi. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Sachi and Sachi. Yeah. Uh, from London. And um, and it's going to be released in uh, March, I think. Yeah, in March. In, in a few months or so. Uh, but I've been writing a lot. Yeah. And um, I've been developing. Uh, uh, Several feature films. I have helped out uh, some other studios. I work for Marza Animation. Uh, Marza, uh, who did uh, uh, Captain Harlock film. Oh, yeah. Is that the one yeah. that's on? Um, is it called uh, Harlock? Um, I forget the full title. 
but I think I saw it on Netflix recently. Yeah. Well, I didn't work on that. I worked on. Uh, I have them uh, developing other projects. So. Ah. Uh, but but my main uh, focus now is to, uh, to 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 work on the feature film uh, this year. So I can I cannot reveal yet. But, of course uh, not. <laughs> is, is it? Are you are you guys still? Are uh, are you all still doing Murphy's Outlaw? It was about these little monsters that make everything. How do you know you? about that? Because <laughs> it's right here. If you Google your name, it says that y'all you're working with Mike to save uh, with yeah. Monkey's uncle, and y'all are doing a movie called Murphy's Outlaw. <laughs> Where did you see this? This is on Cartoon Brew. Oh yeah, yeah. We're developing that with Mike. Um, Google uh, reveals all. You don't, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. You don't no, have to confirm no or deny that it is Murphy's Outlaw. You don't have to confirm or deny anything. No, uh, Murphy's Outlaw, is, we're not there yet. Uh, we're still right. working on it. So I'm, I'm pretty sure we're not going to start this movie uh, this year. But um, I um, think it's a great concept. Uh, well, I think so too. <laughs> and it's great and great to work with Mike. Mike is very funny writer. Very, very funny. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's fun. Uh, but the the other thing I've done uh, after Master in Paris is actually I, I did a, a live action short, and um, and it was uh, released early last year uh, in festivals. So it did like ten or twelve different festivals around the world. Ah, uh, was that? Um, it's called was that Truck. The four A's or the four A's? I don't know how to say it in France. <laughs> no, no, it's called Struck. Struck. Uh, oh, that's right, Struck. Yeah. Struck is a short film. It's a 12-minute sh uh, uh, short film. Um, it's like a surreal, uh, romantic comedy, um, and uh, and I really love doing live action. I really love it. I got I got the bug <laughs> uh, to, to do that. Uh, so uh, well, you, you are going more in. You you are doing some live action feature film. Yeah. All I'm saying is I really love it, and I'm uh, I'm crossing my fingers. But I I think my next movie is gonna be live action. Sounds awesome. Uh, again, it's because I love I love actors. To direct. I really love actors. I it's, it doesn't mean that I, that I hate animators now. Of course not. Sure. <laughs> and uh, I st I'm I'm still going to do animation because this is you know this is uh, I'm. I'm a passion, you know, mm -hmm. a, real, a real passion for animation. Uh, right. But um, I did that short film. I did that uh, um, the music video for Monster in Paris called uh, La Seine, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that was my first experience as a as a live action director. Was doing that uh, music video, and I, th I think I caught the bug there. <laughs> and uh, and and then when I did commercial, the producer, my producer said, who actually was one of my reps. Uh, Said if you want to do live action, do a, if you want to do a, a live action, yeah, we have to do a short first, just to you know, prove and show people that you can do it. So uh, I wrote that uh, that script uh, for Struck, and uh, and she she liked it and she produced it and financed it. So uh, have a look at it. If you, I mean, I don't think it's released. I don't think it's in the internet yet. It's gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna send you a copy when I when I can. Perfect. <laughs> you have to I have to ask your permission. Yeah, I don't um, I don't think it's on 
No, I think it's on the internet, yeah. Uh, because he's still in, in, in doing some festival. Uh, last time he was in Spain, like a few weeks ago. So, uh, so um, yeah, so uh, probably live action I'm going to go for uh, in, the, in the near future. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm writing a script for Jim Henson Company, which I, I love, and I love those people over there. Oh, uh, yeah. and, and and they trust me to uh, to uh, to do a live action for a CG film. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it takes time because I'm on my own, but uh, but uh, it's a great story which I can can tell you about. But uh, uh, <laughs> it's quite adventure <laughs> story. We'll we'll take uh, your word on it. Sounds awesome. <laughs> Of course you do, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, but and I'm doing some um, caricature. There's a, a French TV show called Le Guignol. I don't know if you remember, but during the 80s there was that English show called the Spitting Image, and uh, so it's a, it's a, a puppet show with the celebrities and you know, politicians and all that. So uh, oh, I'm wow. doing I'm doing caricatures of, of celebrities for them. Which is a, a dream job for me. It's, it's, it's a small job, but I take it very seriously and, and with a lot of passion because that's what I wanted to do when I was, uh, you know, ten. Right. Uh, yeah, your Tumblr is pretty fun to, to follow as far as you see all the, the caricatures that you do. <laughs> Thanks, but that's that's what I love to do the most. I think is actually to caricature people. Um, actually, my very first job when I was 15 I was doing caricatures in the bars in France, and uh, to get some uh, some pocket money. Uh, wow! So uh, I guess I always wanted to do that. So when they offered me the job to do caricatures for, so they can build those puppets, um, I was like, oh my god, this is like I'm 15 again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I um, there's really so much I want to ask you, and we definitely want to have you back on if we ever get to talking about your previous films like El Dorado, which I really enjoyed, and Shark Tale as well. And um, unfortunately, we're kind of running out of time, and we definitely do want to do the director's commentary for A Monster in Paris. Once we get all this technical stuff figured out, yeah. We want to have you on again, and, and we can do a, a commentary that our listeners can can turn well, yeah. on and listen to. Next time, if I go to Texas, maybe we can do it. Uh, come hey, on out, yeah. If you come yeah. down to Texas, we'll have Chelsea come down. I'll make you some Texas barbecue. <laughs> Just we can also come down to Arizona, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Arizona. <clears throat> I've well, been in Arizona already, and I loved it. Yeah. I've been uh, in uh, Phoenix. Uh, oh, yeah, Phoenix. Yeah. You've never been to Texas, huh? So what? Have you ever been to Texas? Uh, no, I've been to New Mexico, not, not in Texas. Though, no. All right. Well, I I still need to visit France, so someday I'll I'll come visit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Well, don't be I guess don't I'm, be a stranger. Absolutely. <laughs> so I guess in closing, um, we always like to ask uh, our interviewee uh, interviewees this. But we do have a lot of listeners who are aspiring animators who want to um, have the experience of working in the industry and follow their dreams and passions. Um, what is one piece of advice that was that you learned that was very important to you that you would like to pass on 
to aspiring animators that listen to us? Well, uh, it's going to be a bit like a, not the first time that people are going to hear that, but I have to uh, sure. hammer it. <laughs> uh, don't try to, uh, to be another animator. Just be the animator you are. Uh, so don't, don't try to represent somebody that you are not. Uh, I've seen too many reels that actually uh, look very similar. Um, so I think uh, try to surprise people, not, not, not second guess what people want, um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, second guessing is a, is a poison. The poison to creativity, uh, and uh, and yeah, uh, do your research. Uh, see a lot of films, uh, see, see plays, and and see people dance and and study and uh, and but but first first of all, I'm gonna say it again: don't do anything because it's pretty or cool. Put meanings behind everything. Put meanings in every detail. That, uh, that's uh, that's uh, my uh, my number one thing I would say to an uh, inspiring animator. Uh, Excellent. Just put put some. Don't 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 try to imp impress anybody. Just put meanings in 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 every little details of your animation. Thanks for that. I, I don't know if you know, but I um, I do rigging and character technical direction for CG animation. That's what I'm studying, and I'm also um, I've also done um, animated short films for my university. And so that's hearing cool. that it really that's excellent advice to have because right now I am in the process of showing <laughs> my reel to. Uh, studios trying to get internships and, and starting to get into jobs once I get out of grad school. And so we really appreciate the advice. And uh, I totally agree. I, I, uh, I tend to be a very passionate person about the things that interest me and the art style that I want that, that is me as an artist. And sometimes I, I feel like I fall into the trap of being afraid of my own, my own art style or my own contribution that I can give to animation. And then you can get into the danger of uh, sending in something like you said that you think people want to see, but what you're really doing is betraying who you are as an animator. Mm -hmm. so that's a really great piece of advice, so thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. But yeah, and uh, I, yeah, I, I really believe that. I really believe that uh, uh, if you give, if you give, don't, don't start anything thinking, I have to give what people want, because you have no idea what they want. And actually, the people, they have no idea what they want either. Mm -hmm. I think the number one thing they want is to, to get surprised, positively surprised. You know, they, have to be, you know, they want to be attentive, you know, and uh, they want to see something uh, out of this world, marvelous and, and touching, and, but you don't know what they want. So the only thing is to be authentic. You know, you have to do something genuine, and there's something from your heart, and and something that uh, would surprise them. So, so a big director told me one day, uh, there is no such a thing as a bad idea. 
when you, you put something on the table, you know, if you want to uh, uh, look for the pearl, you know, in the oyster, you have to check all the oysters. Check out, you know, all the oysters. And the oyster looks like a, a very ugly rock. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look like a pearl. So throw out all the ugly rocks you can, and there's probably a pearl in it. That's what that director told me. And that director was Francis Ford Coppola. And, uh, uh, with whom I had the chance to work, uh, two months with as a story artist. And, um, and, uh, I, I keep that in mind. Since then, it was, it was in 95, or, you know, and I, I still have that, those words in mind. So it's like, don't, don't be afraid to, uh, throw out, you know, everything you have in mind because there's probably something good. Even if it's, it looks like a scent grain, uh, can polish it, you know, and it can shine. So um, that's the the other thing I would say too. So, so don't don't be afraid to uh, to to give your what it seems like a bad idea to to keep give it as a present. Yeah, that's really and good that, advice. We, that we makes really sense. That. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it makes total sense. It it's a it's a great insight, definitely. Well. Unfortunately, we got to bring this to a close. But man, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Bebo, and and mm -hmm. it's been a real Thanks, pleasure meeting yeah. you, talking about your uh, your very varied resume uh, that that you've cleared up for us now. <laughs> 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 and um, thank you so much for your uh, you know your commentary on on what uh, you know your your passion that drove you uh, through a monster in Paris. And we definitely recommend all our listeners to check out that film because it's. I, I consider it a work of art, and I was really thrilled to watch it. Thanks. And uh, so I take that chance. Uh, if there's anybody out there uh, working at IMDb, please contact me to fix that thing <laughs> about, about my resume being merged with somebody else's uh, resume. So. Excuse me. Well, if we have any influence, we'll try to use it to set the record straight. <laughs> with the, all right. Well, hey, thank you so much, Bebo, and um, we'll let you go, and then uh, Chelsea and I will wrap up the episode. We'll do all our uh, all wrapping up stuff in the end okay. here. Well, thank you so much. Cool. Thank, Best thank of you. luck to you, and hope to talk to you again soon. Anytime. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Au revoir. Well, that was uh, fantastic. I love, I, he's such a great guy and extremely giving of his time. And we're so grateful for that time that Bebo was right. able to give for us today. A little behind the scenes. And you probably, you probably got this from my horribly botched opening for this episode. But uh, we were, we were trying for about an hour to get this episode to work. And we were just having so many unlucky um, <laughs> technical problems. So I, know. Uh, I totally flubbed on his, uh, on his uh, directorial credits. And so I feel really <laughs> bad about that, but I was also really flustered because we were trying to figure out this, the technical stuff. But um, as always, we want the, uh, the interviewee to talk more than us and we want it to be about him. And so we hope that you all learned something from Bebo and, and his, it's just amazing how I feel like no one animation uh, professional that we interview is the same. They have such it's unique. True. They have such unique stories to tell, and um, so much great advice, and uh, so much uh, you know history and experience behind them. And um, I I love that we have the opportunity to do, to do the show, that we can do it live, and that we can 
um, share these experiences and, and these moments that we have with these professionals with mm -hmm. all of you. And of course, without our patron subscribers, we wouldn't even be able to do this on video and have the live broadcast. So as always, thank you so much to our subscribers and you can go to rotoscopers.com slash patron or slash Patreon to learn more about how you can support the show. And uh, like I said, it's, it's all because of you that we're able to do these kind of expanded formats on the podcast. And of course we will have the audio on, uh, on the website for you to listen to on your commute. It's never good to watch video while you're driving <laughs> and you're thinking you, about you too. <laughs> yeah. If you have any uh, questions or if you want to get uh, to the, the show notes on this, um, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash 114. Most of that will be up tomorrow. Um, I probably won't have time to do it right now, but um, definitely if you are wanting to do anything um, and like tweet about this on Twitter, you can go to an uh, hashtag anim addicts or hashtag anim addicts 114 and make sure to tag Bebo in there. Bebo is fantastic. And that's one of the main um, one things I love being able to follow him for uh, on Twitter too. He's very active there. So you can look up, uh, he is at um, the at and then L E underscore B I B O. Le Bebo. Yep. So make sure to check him out. Also, if you want to leave us a voicemail, we will be doing our normal scheduled podcast of a movie review coming up. And we do, um, we are waiting for more voicemails. And so you can uh, catch us at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. And you can also call us at 406-646-6575. Yeah, this was kind of an impromptu episode. Um, we really want to thank Bebo for giving his time and um, and uh, you know sacrificing a little a little chunk of his Saturday. Well, I don't know. Is it Friday night there or Saturday evening it's there? Saturday evening there. Okay, so like we've taken a huge chunk out of party time for the weekend, <laughs> and um, so we just want to uh, thank him again and. Uh, uh, yeah. what's our, what's our, what's going to be our next episode? I don't see it on the upcoming, on the upcoming episodes. Yeah, I think it's actually a, a patron choice. So we'll get back to you and we'll post that later tonight. What the, the next episode is going to be. Um, so this also could one be last anything. thing. It could, could be, be Fritz the cat. It won't be, okay. <laughs> it won't be anything, I guess. Um, Make sure iTunes. So make sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. And we're also available on Stitcher Radio. But if you decide to leave us a review on iTunes, then we are giving a book, an art book away of your choice. So what's going to happen is if you go in and leave a, a, leave a, a written review of the podcast on iTunes, or if you update your review during the month of January, we're going to go through and pick randomize uh, all of the people who do that and make sure to send us an email with like a screenshot of your, of your update of your, of your email. I'm not your email, but your review. And that way we'll be able to get in touch with you. If you win the art book, which like I said, is any art book of your choice, no matter where you live. Wow. So, uh, that's a big deal. Wow. So I can get like, I should enter this because that means I can get like should. the hardcover Star Wars The Force Awakens, the art of book. You could get that. You won't, but you could. <laughs> <laughs>
I want the art. What's the most expensive art book on Amazon? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's going to be, um, it's got to be in print. So as long as it's in print, we're able to get that. So it's not going to be like Art of the Lion King or something like that. So it's, sorry. <laughs> but anything out there that's within reasonable price. I want uh, the Godfather family album. It's uh, currently going for $40,000 hardcover. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we do want to say thank you to um, HP Hollow who said that this gave us a five-star review and he said it was a gem of a podcast. We also have Joey Tux who said that it was created by and for animation addicts. Yes, we are. I really enjoyed your review. So thank you. And then also, um, T a Theg four zero three zero nine three. And he said, amazing animation assessments. Thank you for your alliterations. Love it. So thank you so much. If these guys, if you guys want to send a um, send us an email with a copy of whatever you end up writing, then we'll be able to get in touch with you, and you will be entered in to win that art book. So thank you so much once again. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I you can find me Chelsea Robson. Um, also, my website chelseyrobson.com. You can follow Mason on Twitter at Mason SMTX. You can also follow his blog at. Um, what is it? No, this animated life dot 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 com. Oh yeah. Then, um, I just entered a new semester of grad school. So, um, some classes like they require you to have like a blog or like a website to put your in progress work nice. so the professors can look at it. Yeah. So you're going to be getting, if you go to my blog, which I haven't, I've definitely neglected, but yeah, you're going to start seeing a few more, um, few more class assignments on my blog now just because I had to do it out, out of necessity. But I am taking um, facial modeling and animation from Frederick Park, who literally invented facial animation like for CG. And so yeah. uh, I'll be showing some of my work in progress stuff and the things that I'm going to be submitting to him. So if you want to uh, judge me on my on my academic performance and <laughs> and see we how mediocre you. an animator I actually am, you can, <laughs> you can check out my blog. <laughs> totally judge you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us once again. Until next time, I'm Chelsea. I'm Mason. And we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. Rotoscopers.